Hey, Junior here. Thanks for hitting play. Are you living today like you're going to live forever? You know, that's a big mistake. Let's talk more about that. Now, I'm wondering if you can help me settle an ongoing argument with my wife. I think this is just a good place to air dirty laundry. So kind of bring you into the, the argument. Is it creepy to walk through a cemetery? Okay, it's kind of mixed here because I'm hearing no, but I'm also getting some, like, some, some head nods. See, I don't, think it's, I don't think it's creepy. I like exploring an old cemetery. So if, if Nicole and I, if we're traveling and we run across, you know, an old cemetery, you know, out in the country, I want to stop. I want to walk through it. I want to see how old the gravestones are, what the gravestones say. She hates it. And it's not that like, oh, I love death. It's not that at all. It's just, it's just history. It's like an old field full of stories. And I just, I love stories. Years ago, when I was the, uh, the youth pastor here at the bridge, each fall I would take our student ministry to a local, like, local cemetery around here. And it was always around Halloween time, so, so fall. And I wouldn't take the kids to, to scare them, though I, I get it. Like at night, it's creepy walking through a cemetery, you know, more when, it, when it's dark. And some of my leaders hated it. Some of the parents wouldn't even send their kids when I would do this. Snowflakes. But it was, it was so worth it. We'd, uh, we'd get to the graveyard, at, you know, just before sunset, and we'd start with a scavenger hunt. So on the list I'd have for the, all the high schoolers, you know, find the oldest grave in the, in the park. Find the newest grave in the park. Find the person who lived the longest in the park. Find the person who lived the shortest in the park. Find the person who, who died right when they were your age. And it was like, you know, it was this game, a scavenger hunt. But it was so much more than a game. Like for 30 minutes, the kids would look, around, look at grave after grave after grave, each one of those graves reminding them of really the brevity of life. Because under each stone lies a person who had hopes and dreams just like them. And now they're in eternity. Each grave was like a testimony. Each epitaph they read was like this mini sermon that, that was saying something that I could really, in a way that I could never really say. I mean, it was a scavenger hunt, but there was very little talking. I didn't tell them they couldn't laugh, but there was very little laughing. It, it was a feeling that was very hard to express as they went throughout this graveyard. It was heavy, but it was very needed. And after the scavenger hunt, we would gather around a grave. I'd pick a grave and, and we'd gather around it and we would talk. It's a very, very heavy moment, talking about uh, the life they're living and how one day somebody's going to walk by a stone with, with your name on it, and it's good to live with that reality. And then we get all on the bus, and, and it, was very, it was like this very healthy somberness as we got on the bus, like reflective. Am I living the life that I want to live, or am I wasting my life right now? Am I ready for death because death is real? It's a very sobering adventure that, that I just I love taking them on. See, the book of Genesis finishes with that feel. The book of Genesis finishes with, with, with this scene. It's a, it's a rather descriptive scene. The very last, the, the four last words in Genesis end with a coffin in Egypt. And it's this coffin, it's this scene that invites us into this sobering exercise. In a way, it's as if today we hit the pause button on our lives and ask ourselves, if I were in that coffin, am I good with the story that I've lived? This is a very powerful question. It's an uncomfortable question. It's a humbling question, but it's a question that we all ask together as we take this invite that this coffin in Egypt is inviting us into. So uncomfortable or not, I hope, I hope you'll come with me. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50 is where we're going to be. That's page 440, uh, 44 in the 
and the Bible's in the chairs, but Genesis chapter 50. And for the last 10 weeks, we've been following a man who dominates the, the pages of Genesis, Joseph. He's a guy who grew up in a very dysfunctional home. He had a very passive dad who modeled very poor leadership. But somehow this kid learns how to lead himself, and then he leads a country to being one of the strongest superpowers this world has ever seen. And today we close it all out by looking at the very last moments, the last breaths of this man. Let me pray, and we'll jump right in. God, I thank you so much for your word. And may you re remind us in this moment right now of just the, the seriousness that we gather together with, with other believers, we, we worship, we take communion, and now we open up your word. May you remind us just of these words that we're reading. These are from you, the creator of this universe, our Father. These are your words. We believe they are true, and we receive what they say. In the name of Jesus, please open our hearts. May we not fight off any conviction. Please open our hearts and engage our minds. We ask that the Holy Spirit illuminate this text to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we enter into Genesis chapter 50, we find ourselves in a very quiet room. A certain stillness just hangs in the air. An ornate wooden chair sits in the corner of the room. It was brought in for decor. The detailed carvings and the bright color just seemed to pop, and so it was brought in as a perfect accent piece. But over time, this chair was needed more and more. In the recent weeks, it's the only place he sits. So in this stillness, he sits and reflects. What a life he's had. And part of him wonders if his story will ever be written down or, or retold. It's funny, most people prefer their prime years, you know, when they're young and they're strong. But his favorite years were the second half. He enjoyed those years the most. When his dad moved back to Egypt, when his brothers came along and, and they built houses around his, it's almost like they created their own little mini Hebrew village right in the middle of Egypt. His nephews and his nieces and his grandchildren, they play in the adjoining yards. Periodically, they run through the house playing hide and, hide and seek. Every so often, he'll put a big table out in the yard and he'll fill it with food, a family feast, something he thought he'd never have. Loves watching the kids run around. He used to chase them, but lately, no chance. These last couple decades have been so close to heaven, so enjoyable. And yet, in a different way, he feels even closer to heaven now. It's only a matter of time. This bedroom that he sits in feels like a waiting room. Each day, he grows less and less interested with everything outside of the window. Everything in earth seems to be fading, and heaven seems to be brightening. But before he checks out, he wants to see his family one more time. One last gathering with his family. And this is where Genesis brings us into. Verse 22, it says, So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. 110 years! This guy must have been soaking in essential oils every night. 110 years in Egypt. Now, this length is, of life is very impressive. It's impressive today, but it's impressive especially in Egypt. The average person had a very low life expectancy. Uh, so you can see he's very, very blessed to be able to meet his grandkids. I mean, this is, this, is, this is something. Now, you and I, I just want to say you and I are likely not to live 110 years, okay? For, for some of us, we might not make it to the end of the year. And I, I, don't mean, I hope that's not prophetic or anything like that. 
Uh, we've had, but we've had many in our church family who will sit in here on the weekends, and then on Friday, uh, we, we do their funeral. We're just not promised tomorrow. And I think the mistake that we can a lot of times make is we'll read Genesis 50, 22, and we'll go, 110 years. I got a ways to go. We still just subconsciously assume I'm going to live that long too. Maybe not. We continue on. It says, and Joseph saw his, his grandchildren, Frame's children, of the, to the third generation. The children also of Makur, the son of Manasseh, uh, were counted as Joseph's own. So counted as his own. Some believe that Joseph ended up adopting some of uh, his, his grandkids. So he's raising his grandchildren as well. And maybe you know what that's like, because you're, you're part of raising your grandchildren. Joseph likely knew what that was like as well. But you just picture this scene going on here. There they are. And that beautiful palace in Goshen. And we talked about this palace in week one. Uh, recently ex- excavated. This is, uh, this is more of a recreation of uh, believed to have been Joseph's, Joseph's palace. A, y- a large courtyard built to accommodate a large family gathering. Uh, Twelve inner pillars representing 12 brothers. And there they all are. And Joseph sits drinking in this scene. As everyone eats, he's just scanning every face. Each of these faces, he loves each of these faces. The story behind each of those faces, how he's prayed for each of those faces to sit here and watch them talk, to watch them laugh, to watch them eat. And this is when he speaks up and a hush quickly falls over the family because when Joseph speaks, they listen. They are here because of him. They are blessed with food because of him. They are blessed with homes and with servants because of him. And so when Joseph speaks, everybody listens. And Joseph says this in verse 24. Joseph said to his brothers, now there in verse 24, brothers doesn't have to mean his literal brothers. They were older, so likely they're long gone by now. Brothers can also translate as his brother's family. So you just say his extended family. Joseph said this to his family. He said, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Now, this is not right here. Yes, we read this, but this is something to really more feel. Before this, you know, Joseph sat there wondering what his last family address would be. I got one last speech. And these words are going to be told and retold and retold until Moses comes along 200 years later and pens these words. And he says this. Now, this only makes sense to reiterate the promise that he's held on to for all these years. Because as a young boy, he remembers his mom telling him of God's promises. God's going to do something with our family. He remembers his dad telling him, God is real, God is near, and God has a covenant with this family. He's going to give us a promised land. And so Joseph goes to Egypt as a 17-year-old kid. He doesn't have a Bible like we have. He doesn't have a church community like we have. He doesn't have like some small group or a bunch of accountability partners that are keeping him in line. All he has is this promise. God is here. God is near. God is going to do something. I might be a slave today, but God is real. God is near, and God is going to do something. I'm tempted to sleep with Mrs. Potiphar, but God is real. God is near. God is going to do something. And so it only makes sense that his very last speech over his family, this blessing over his family, is the blessing that he has held on to his whole life. Continues on, verse 25. He says, then Joseph made the sons of Israel, so his whole family, swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones from here. Meaning you shall carry, when, when God gives you the promised land, take my bones to the promised land. Why? You ever wonder that? Why? I mean, it's a cool picture if you think about it. 
You know, Joseph is, is entombed. His bones are in a box. They're sitting in a dark tomb, complete silence and darkness for 200 years. And then there's a thud on the door and another thud. And then suddenly a crack. And it's like Indiana freaking Jones. A gray bearded man pops through, emerges, snatching Joseph's bones. And Moses carries him back to the promised land. I mean, it makes for a really cool story. But why? Why do the bones going to the promised land or why do the bones going to Israel matter? I think for a lot of us, we can read this and we just kind of assume, well, this is like sprinkling of ashes, right? You know, like maybe, maybe you did this, you know, a loved one dies and you're like, we're going to sprinkle their ashes, you know, at a place where, where they really love going. And that's cool. Is that what's going on here? There's more to it. Joseph wants his bones, his grave, to be visited by family for generations. He wants his grave to be this perennial reminder of God's promises to his family. In other words, what Joseph is thinking is, is he wants his kids and his grandkids and his great-grandkids to go, yeah, Joe's buried over there, but not for long. God promised something. God's coming. He's going to do something. And Joe is not going to be staying in that grave. Joseph's grave is a marker pointing to the coming of God. And it's the same exact thought for us as believers today. As a believer is placed in the ground, their death speaks to the hope of the resurrection. So I just buried my grandma a couple months ago. You might have buried a, a loved one recently. If they know Jesus, they're not going to be there for long because God promised something. God is coming. A resurrection is promised to happen. See, Joseph thought through all of this into his burial. And it should make us think about our own burial. I know it's not something we like thinking about. Our own funeral. More so now, you know, it wasn't long ago. You might, many of you might remember this when you were kids, but you remember when you go to a funeral and, and the, the casket would be in the ground and you'd sprinkle dirt? Any of you do this? Say, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We don't do that anymore today. In fact, when I, uh, when I do gravesides, the funeral home will often, you ever see this? They, they, line, the, they line all the dirt with, with uh, green carpet. You know, they'll even line the hole with green carpet because they know we don't want to see the dirt. We don't want to think much about the end, about dirt. We don't want to think about the inevitable coming. Joseph thought a lot about this. The vision and the hope that he wanted to cast for his family, even in his own death. Have you thought about yours? And maybe that thought feels like morbid. But the people who really truly live life well, they think about the end all the time. Because thinking about the end forces us, forces us to keep the right priorities, to live and cherish each day, to make everything very special. See, it's very rare when I've done a funeral, and I've done a couple, I've done funerals for people who they'll actually plan their own funeral. So I'll go to like do their funeral and I'll get like this, like, it's kind of weird actually to get this like piece of paper and be like, here's what they wanted at their funeral. It's very rare that this has happened, but, but it's very, very special. In fact, uh, Pastor Brian, his, uh, his grandma, her name was Belva. Uh, she died in her 90s. It was about 10 years ago. She, she was my friend. Uh, she took an interest in me when I was a punk college kid. And when Nicole and I were dating, we'd go to her place and we'd make dinner with her. She was in like her 90s at that point. It was just, she was very, very, very special uh, to us. But when she died, she had planned her own funeral. In fact, she had made a video talking to everybody at her funeral and they played it at her funeral just talking about her hope in the gospel. I know you're all crying for me, but don't cry. I'm so happy right now. 
because she thought through everything. I want to I cast vision and hope and blessing for my family. That's just like what Joseph is doing here. See, there's something to planning your funeral. For a writing exercise, I, I planned my funeral. And that was kind of weird, but I did. I have some songs, uh, some people that I'd like to share. I'd have, I'd have Pastor Jordan share, but he's just going to be a mess of tears, so I actually took him off. <laughs> no, seriously, though, I, I forced myself to, to think through my, my death. Like, before I go, I, I'd love to have my daughters around me. And, and I, I want, there, there's things that I want them to believe in that moment. I want them to see their earthly father as a good, not a perfect, but as a good representation of their heavenly father. I want them in that moment to think, we have an easier time seeing our heavenly father because of who our earthly father was. In that moment, there's things I want my wife to know. I want her to know I was right in all of our fights. And <laughs> no, I want my wife to look back on years looking at her husband as a husband of sacrifice and, and leadership. Those are two big words that I want my wife to think of. He sacrificed for the family, and he led us really well. And, and fun. I know that's weird, but I want my marriage to be fun. There's just too many marriages that are total drags today. I see them all the time. I don't want, I don't want one of those like, marriages that are a drag. I want a fun marriage. And so I want to leave behind a fun marriage with my wife. I want my wife to look back on her marriage and be like, oh, we were like kids on a carnival ride. That was just so much fun. I'd really love to have guys who I did ministry with for, for decades to be there by my side. I'd love for in that moment, before I go, to look at them and just think, faithful. We were faithful. We were idiots sometimes. And we would, we would have done some things differently, but dang it, we were faithful to the end. See, if my funeral was, was next week, I don't know if those words would be said about me. I don't think so. I'm not there yet. But thinking through that ending gives me something to strive for today. And it keeps me aligned. I can't plan my own funeral in reality, but in a way, I plan my own funeral every day I live. So if I, if I spend my days, if I carry an attitude with, with Nicole, you know, is this attitude helping her see sacrifice in me? Is this attitude that I'm carrying help her seeing leadership in me? Am I making this fun? Are we going on dates? Am I being spontaneous with her and fun? Well, no. Okay, well, then I got to change if I want that said about me. If I'm not spending time with my kids and I'm short-tempered with them, am I representing the heavenly, our Heavenly Father well? No. Well, then i got to change. See, those who live with the end in mind, they lead better lives because there's direction. There's a sense of every day is precious. Every day we got to follow through on this because we're headed there. Your future grave is not a destination to just not think about. Your future grave should be a motivation. To arrive there with no regrets, to live each day like a song, taking each hour for what it's worth so that when the end comes and God calls your name, you're ready to go. See, that discomfort of I don't want to think about the end, power through that. Joseph did. See, I just, I find this, I find this so very beautiful. Joseph says, I want my entombment to be a reminder to God's people of God's promises. I'm not going to be in here long. My body's here, but not for long. God's coming. And we say the same exact thing at our funerals. Joseph thought that through. We continue on verse 26. It says, so Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him and he was put in a coffin. There you go. The last four words in Genesis, 
coffin in Egypt. There's liter- uh, literary themes playing out here. Uh, so the book of Genesis starts with, in the beginning, you know, and it starts with life and creation. And then Genesis ends with the four words, coffin. A coffin in Egypt. And luckily that's, that's not the end. But picture this scene here. Somewhere in Goshen, northern Egypt, off one of the side streets, sits a stone building. It's the city morgue, if you will. Bodies come in and mummies go out. Today, inside the building, the dimly lit center room is very somber. And on the center stone slab lays one of Egypt's finest. The embalmers all know his name. The man has saved their country. The man has saved their region. Even the local prison down the street hails him a legend. He showed up in this town at 17 years old, and the story he lived, greater than any pharaoh. And today, people all over the country mourn the loss of this national hero. Will his story be preserved? It must. Certain somberness hangs in the air throughout the whole land, but it's far more thick in this room as his lifeless body lays there. The lips that interpreted dreams are, are now closed. The hands that directed teams are now stiff. And the eyes that cried painful streams are now shut. His grand story has come to a close. And the coffin over here awaits him. He is to be given the pharaoh treatment, full mummification with a gold inlaid sarcophagus. His tomb, a miniature pyramid in his backyard, awaits the decorated funeral procession that will happen later on that day. But first, the body must be prepared. Joseph and Jacob, Joseph and his dad, are the only main characters in Scripture who were embalmed as they died in Egypt. Joseph is embalmed according to Egypt's customs. Vital organs are removed and placed in jars. The body is then packed with gums and spices and and perfumes and salts, all of which prevent full decay and smell. He's then wrapped with an airtight shroud to preserve his recognizable characteristics. And after a, a short time, Joseph is lifted off the slab and placed in the sarcophagus, the maker having carved the likeness of Joseph on the box. Outside the building waits a cart, a hearse, if you will. His coffin is laid on top, and a funeral procession lines the streets to Joseph's home, many touching his coffin as it slowly passes by. At Joseph's home sits his family, his wife, his kids, his grandkids, his nieces, his nephews, a large gathering throughout Joseph's palace. His coffin is placed in the backyard tomb, is sealed, and left in silence. That is until Moses breaks through 200 years later. It's a coffin in Egypt. And it teaches us a few lessons. We get these from the text. A few lessons from the coffin. Number one, death is coming. Isn't that nice? If you're new to the bridge, we're glad you're here. Welcome to the bridge. Death is coming. But it's true. Death is a reality. And as followers of Jesus, this reality, it doesn't bother us because of what Jesus did on the cross. Death is something that we don't fear. In fact, we lean into the discomfort. While everybody around us fear death, we stand out because we're people of hope. Death is a reality, and we're okay with it because of the cross. Death is a reality. Death is coming, and we can't put it off. You can drink tree bark smoothies and shoot yourself with essential oils in your arm. You can pop Flintstone vitamins like an addict, but you're still going to die, and it'll be all over. A while back, Nicole and I, we were watching a documentary on liquid science, the science of cryogenics. You ever hear this? 
It's wild. Cryogenics. This is where they freeze your body after death. They, like, they literally put you in like a, a freezer tank, and you're just in there, frozen. And the hope is, is that you, know, you go in, and you're frozen, and then time goes on to the point where science has progressed enough to like, bring you back to life and then heal whatever killed you. It might sound ridiculous, but like, this is becoming like a big thing with, with wealthy people. Like Wealthy people are paying $200,000 just to freeze their bodies, and then they're setting aside money every year to just keep their bodies frozen, keep on paying rent for their freezer. And no worse, if you can't, if you can't like, if $200,000 is too steep, you can pay $80,000 for just your head to be frozen. I'm not sure what happens when science brings you back and you're just ahead, but I guess you'll figure that out then. But it's just wild. I mean, it shows you how far people are going to put off death. We can't do it. And so we're left with two options. First option is what most of us do on a daily basis. I'm just going to try not to think about it. This is most people. I'm not going to talk about death. I'm not going to think about death. I'm going to go to a funeral, but I'm going to sit in the back, and I'm not going to try to think much about what's going on at the funeral. I'm just going to try to live in denial because I don't like that. Or the second option is you can lean into this comfort, and you can understand the brevity of life. You can, you can as Moses wrote, teach me to number my days. and you Number your days and embrace the hope of Jesus Christ because of Jesus, death is not the end, but merely the beginning of something far better. Our headstone should read BRB. I kind of want that. I don't think I'm going to be buried. I don't know. I kind of want to be a diamond. But if I'm, you hear about that, people can, you, you can make a dead body into a diamond. I thought that was so cool. Like if you like put on a necklace for my wife, but she thinks that's gross. But if I had a headstone, BRB, I love that. Be right back. I'm coming back. That's what, that's what Joseph said, right? I'm here, but God promised something. And I'm not here. I'm, I'm in the ground, but not for long. My body's a seed and a mighty oak is coming. God promised something a resurrection, a glorified body. And that is something to lean into. Death is coming. Uh, number two, we're just visitors. That's the second thing that this coffin is teaching us. We're just visitors. And this idea right here should really calm a lot of our hearts. Because how many of us aren't loving where we're at? I hear this all the time. I hate the company I'm at. I hate the house we have. I hate Illinois, the city, the school district, the politics. It's got us anxious and angry, but we're just visitors. And that changes things. You might not like where you're at, but stop acting like this is it. One day the pencils we put down, the assignment will be done, we'll head home. We're just visiting until then. And this truth gives us stamina to live where we're living. Yeah, you might not like this and that. I don't either, but this is just the assignment. This is temporary. This is not everything. This is just a visit. It's like last week. Last week I was in, uh, I was in Honduras and uh, just had an awesome time. You, you know, um, Maddie is here on what's happening. She also runs our, our, um, our bridge kids. Um, I grew up with, with Maddie and, um, and I knew she went to Honduras for like four or five years uh, after, after college. I didn't realize like all the stuff she did there until I actually went there. Like she would like wash her clothes on like by hand with like bars of soap and, and sh shower with like collected rainwater. I was like, this girl's like a living Mother Teresa, you know, and, and she's, you know, what's happening every, every weekend. But it's just, it was, it was an awesome, awesome trip. But there was, there was one night where we went out into a couple of the mountain villages, and we saw just some very poor houses. Uh, this house right here had 22 people living in it. 22 people living in this house. So dirt floors, mud brick, and no water or power. Because of the corruption, Coca-Cola is cheaper than water there. 
And so a lot of kids, they'll like sip on Coca-Cola just to stay hydrated. So there's like, there's health issues, a very hard life. Beautiful people. I was walking through these alleyways into, into some of these homes and and, and I just, man, it's so, so beautiful. Like the community and, and the people. One woman taught me how to make tortillas. That was just, that was so much fun. I, I love this woman. It was just a blast. One woman had a, had a calf in her yard that acted like a dog. How cool is that? Like just like playing with a cow out in front, out, out in the front yard. And so I'm passing through and I'm focusing on just the beauty, the, the beauty of the people, the beauty of the culture, the, the, the good food. I'm having fun because I knew I'm just visiting. I'm flying out soon. Now, had I had to like live there, that'd be a different story. That'd be a lot more tough for me. I got to collect rainwater to shower, building walls around my home to keep out crime. I don't have AC. Okay, well, that's not so fun. Then I'm struggling. But since I was a visitor, I had the stamina. I had a different mentality. This is why Christians should stand out in life because this isn't it. We're just visiting. We pass through here very differently because all this junk we see that we talk about all the time, the junk in the news and pop culture and politics, we can look at that and go, it's just temporary. Eventually I'm flying out of here. People need to see this in us. This is how we communicate the gospel. This is how we communicate hope because of what Jesus did on the cross. This is not my home. Our home is something I get to look forward to. And so all this around us, I can put up with this because it's just temporary. This isn't it. We're just visitors. Third lesson this coffin teaches us is legacy matters. Legacy matters. The majority of people leave very little of a legacy. I'll say it's one of the more sadder parts of, of my job. You know, there's a death, and I do a lot of funerals, and so, you know, there's a death, and, and I'll, I'll be doing the funeral, and I'll meet with the family to talk about their loved one, you know, and, and it's tough because they're, they're grieving. And there's been a few times where I'll just think, there's really not much substance here. What am I going to say? And I'll meet with the family, and they'll say, uh, they were a big golfer. Maybe you could, like, at the funeral, say something about the country club that they were in. You know, that, that meant a lot to them. Okay. They're a big reader, you know, so maybe you could talk about, like, these books. They took a lot of pride in their career doing, like, okay, I'll mention that. Or there's stories of, you know, them on vacation or a funny story from long ago, and that's fun. But we all walk away with something really left unsaid, going, that's it? 70 years? Not much of a legacy? Not much done for the kingdom of God? The community around them isn't really any different? 70 years. 70 years. And a few nice stories and a shout out to their hobby. That's it. Nothing really built, nothing really handed to the next generation, no lives impacted, no eternities changed. Just a hobby shout out, great golf game. They had a career doing this. Here's a few stories. Let's go. That's it. See, when Joseph died, Egypt felt this hole because God touched the region through Joseph. And so when Joseph died, Egypt was going, well, what now? Because we were touched by God through this man. That's a legacy. But what about you? Like if your funeral was this week, what's your legacy? Oh, people will say nice things because that's what people do at funerals. They'll share stories. They'll talk about what you liked. They'll show some pictures. I'm talking about your legacy. 
Are you happy with your legacy? See, I, I fear that far too many of us are just wasting our lives, giving all of ourselves to a career or, or a hobby or some nice things. All of us are fine. I'm not like condemning that, but like none of it matters. How many of us are wasting our lives? Priorities are out of whack. We're just wasting time spinning wheels. We're not really intentional with anything. We're holding on to attitudes. We're holding on to bitterness that are keeping us from really living life. So many of us are living like we're going to live forever. And it takes scripture once in a while to slap us and say, stop, you're not going to. So stop acting like you are. This is it. Genesis ends with a coffin in Egypt. It didn't have to. I mean, this text could have said, Joseph died. Why be so descriptive? Because scripture is inviting us to this coffin, to this cold body laying in a box and forcing us to ask ourselves, when we're there, because we will be there, are you okay with what you left behind? I'm sure you'll have a nice funeral like most people, but what about the legacy that God has assigned to you? Is God touching your community through you? Are you blessing? Are you serving? Are you giving? Are you leaving it all on the field and building something for the kingdom? Think about it. When, when somebody builds a factory, they start with the end product in mind. This is what we are going to make, and so this is how we're going to build the factory. They build with the end in mind. Nobody thoughtlessly builds a factory with no end product in mind and then later says, well, sure do hope this produces something. And that'd be ridiculous. But how many of us are living our lives like that? We're just going about our days. We're going about our careers. We're going about our relationships. We're going about our families, our priorities, with very little intentionality, never really thinking about the end product because that just really makes us uncomfortable. Meanwhile, we're just kind of hoping that somehow we're just like, the end product will happen, you know, that we're living a life that matters. This is the majority of people. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, would you give it a share? It goes a long way. Also, don't forget to subscribe if you haven't yet. Hey, God has something for you today. Go after it. Blessings. Blessings.